there were so many red flags from Winston in many capacities. I have to admit, I didn't see it as a cry for help either. But <laughs> when you lay it out that way, yeah, how selfish does the rest of the loft have to be? Again, to not notice that he is going through something. Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And we're long-distance best friends who bonded over our love of TV and brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. Today's episode, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 4, The Captain. This episode originally aired on October 8th, 2013, and was written by J.J. Philbin, who last wrote Season 2, Episode 21, First Date, and directed by Fred Goss, who last directed Season 3, Episode 2, Nerd. In this episode... Schmidt tries to break up Nick and Jess while Winston is trying to get his cat laid. And from the beginning of the episode, we just really jumped right into Nick and Jess. I was really glad and excited to see that they're enjoying each other so much. I was kind of like, whoa, 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 we're just starting off right in bed. Here we are joining Nick and Jess in bed together. But at the same time, very excited that we're getting to see the like happy parts and the good parts of this relationship. And I think knowing where the episode went, it makes a lot of sense that they started right in bed too, because so much of this centered around Jess immediately wanting to talk feelings and the balance between that and their physical attraction. And of course, Nick is just avoiding talking about feelings as soon as Jess brings it up. He really was, but at least in this moment in the beginning, they're like laughing about it. You know, they're like having cute little jokes about it and like not letting it get too deep, which it did kind of need to get deep. But then like the unveiling of this episode is really what got them there. But also what really got them there was Schmidt wanting to break them up. Honestly, without Schmidt in this situation, I don't think they would have gotten that far in this episode. I think things would have stayed a little bit more surface level, but like immediately even you see Schmidt and Winston, like Schmidt's complaining about the noise that they're making and the laughter that they're having, which is just like Schmidt. That's what roommates do. You all have done this. You all have had partners over the last set of time that you all have been living together. And it's interesting because we also find out pretty soon after this that it's been one month since they've been dating. So they've had some time to start to get used to this. But also, I'd want to know how much time it's been since he vowed to break them up. Because it seems really fresh for them. But then I didn't think that Schmidt was dating both Cece and Elizabeth for very long. I know. I was so surprised there had been a month of them not being together. And also I think Winston had one line about that where he's like, you were never here. But I'm like, Cece came over to the loft. Schmidt went to see Elizabeth. Yes. But like, he didn't go see her like all the time, every day, weeks at a time where he wouldn't have seen Nick and Jess together. I think it's only now that Schmidt has committed his life to breaking them up that he's like, so aware of the situation I think before he just didn't really care because he also was in a happy relationship or relationships right that also means that he dated both Elizabeth and Cece much longer than I thought he did because the first episode took place over four to five days because we knew that Nick and Jess were in Mexico for four days but I didn't think like episodes two and three took much more than a few days each, but maybe it was actually like two or three weeks. And that's why Jess and Nick have now been together a month because to your point, Winston says he hasn't been around and I'm guessing most of that month Schmidt wasn't here. So either way, it's weird that he got them a cake, although I kind of was excited by the cake like Jess was where she had to try it because she was so mad at Schmidt that she was going to try the cake. I think it was very obvious for Schmidt throughout the whole episode that anything he was doing from the audience's perspective, at least was that it was not from a good intent and it was not from a good place. And that cake was just so ridiculous. It almost looks like he like 
stole the cake <laughs> just to bring it to them and like here or like took it from like a baby's first birthday. Like that's the kind of cake it looked like. And I'm just like, who commemorates one month of being together? But then that's where Schmidt is like rubbing it in Nick's face because Schmidt did get inside Nick's head with the cake. And Schmidt's just saying, oh, well, who have you been with longer than a month? Oh, yeah, Caroline, that's it. And like, that's the conclusion they came to. But I'm just like, wasn't he with Julia for like a month? I thought that was also a pretty intense relationship for Nick. I think when you compare it to Caroline, Caroline comes off much bigger because it was on and off through college. After college, they lived together. And maybe Schmidt saw the potential for Jess being his endgame, which is why he compared it to Caroline, which was obviously not a good ending. With Julia, though, yeah, I do think they dated for more than a month because we started to see her in January with Schmidt's birthday, and he had already been on a couple dates at that point. And then we saw her through Valentine's Day, and they broke up after. So yeah, it would have been a month at the least, maybe one to two months even, but maybe because it didn't end up being such a serious relationship for him that Schmidt didn't mention it or because Schmidt really wanted to draw the parallel to Caroline because I think that's more of what it was all you've had is Caroline remember Caroline remember how that ended and he really does get in Nick's head and I love how even though maybe love's not the right word Schmidt kept repeating and overthinking and overthinking like he just subtly put that in there And maybe it's not even that subtle, but I just, it was fascinating to watch that and then to watch Nick go away and really just, it's in his head, like he can't get out of it. Yeah, I know he brings it up later with Jess that he knows Nickology or like has a study in in understanding Nick. And I think this is that moment too, that like, that to me was not subtle at all. (laughs) I think he was being very overt about the overthinking, but I think just how Nick's brain works, especially after knowing Nick as a character even for these two seasons now he hears one thing and he takes that and overthinks it and he overanalyzes it and so by Schmidt just planting that seed you know Nick was like second guessing everything and he also wasn't talking about his feelings still so therefore it was just all up in his head and not something he was talking about with Jess but there he goes he he was successful one of two He got in their head and he's planted seeds to get to this breakup that he thinks is so imminent. (laughs) And you have to just think that if you walk into a room and someone is steaming their sheets, they are diabolically planning something. Like You should not listen to anything that comes out of their mouth. (laughs) I just thought that was classic Schmidt though, like steaming his sheets, like him with his sheets out with the steamer. And I'm just like, of all the things you need to iron or steam, sheets is like the last thing. But only Schmidt would be the one so organized to the point or possessed to the point, honestly, to steam his sheets. I'm just like, that's a very Schmidt thing to do. (laughs) It really is. But that cuts to Nick and Jess trying to be intimate and Nick not being able to perform. And I love the parallel that Get Lucky is playing in the background as Jess is trying to take care of this in her words. Yeah, it was really sweet to see Jess encouraging Nick and most of the time and like being there with him and saying, don't worry about this. Like, don't let that be the reason that you and I can't happen. Like we can make it happen. But then after so much time had passed, I felt like her line almost didn't land right at the end where she's like, hey, at least the sun managed to get up. And I'm just like, Jess. That's adding insult to injury at this point. I mean, the the whole montage they had was kind of cute and just like what they were trying to do and that they were really trying to like have fun with it, even though it was like an awkward thing for Nick. But then where it ended, I just was like, we didn't really have to do it like that, did we? Like, you really could have been nicer in this moment. No. And when she says something like, are we not going to be joking about this? Nick is not in a joking mood, I'd imagine. And for someone who knows him that well, it's surprising that she couldn't pick up on that after that whole night together. And so I agree with what you said. Really, it is adding insult to injury. Like, that's a perfect way to put it because he did not want to be in that room anymore. And every time she tried to talk to him about it after that, of course, he ran away. Although I kind of understand when she says, I talked to my mom about this and my dad 
and obviously he runs away at that point. So we never hear the end of that story and maybe for the better, but I can't imagine hearing that from your girlfriend that she was talking to her mom about her married life with her dad about impotence and all this. It it seems like it would be a lot to run away from. So I get where Nick was kind of avoiding this, at least for a little bit. I'm surprised that honestly didn't come back from Nick because he knows Bob and he's kind of scared of Bob and Bob totally hammered on the insults to him last time we saw him with Jess when it was right before Cece's wedding of like, you're not good enough because you're me and you're not good enough for my daughter. And how awkward of Jess to be like, well, let me call my parents about the only thing that is a problem and that he can't have sex with me right now. That's what she called her parents about and talked like that is such a like weirdly open relationship with parents to like go, well, I don't need to tell you about the rest of my relationship. I'm just going to tell you about like the problems Nick is having and how would we fix that? What's the solution here? And I'm just like, that's such a funny little comment to like sprinkle in from the writers, I feel like, because it's like, wait, what? Like it makes you like catch yourself. Especially because if she was going to go to her mom about something like this, I'm surprised she didn't go to Cece first. Yeah. And even Nick asked that question. He's like, did you talk to Cece about it? Did you talk to everybody about it? Because he's like, you talked to Schmidt like later on. And it's like, what like yes she maybe talked to somebody but like of all the people to talk to your parents like or like of all the topics to talk to your parents about this is not the one (laughs) like this is not the one to start there and then go elsewhere I mean it was it was funny to hear the line especially given the history and it was a really quick line but like also like okay Jess you're not approaching this properly which also brings us to Schmidt knowing that she's vulnerable maybe overhearing these conversations with her parents if that's what she's doing because it's something that you know, Nick leaves, he doesn't want to have the conversation. And Schmidt, of course, the the smoothie stuff, by the way, was already behind Jess, like he was ready to do his own smoothie. But then I think he like went to hide to like pop out right at the right moment and just lay it on essentially and like make Jess want to tell him what's going on. Yeah, he was being especially devious in this moment. If Jess had been more secure in her relationship with Nick or they had had more opportunities to talk, she would not have listened to anything Schmidt said. And I think it's funny because they literally call out the fact that he was trying to break them up, but somehow when they're both talking to him independently, that thought doesn't really come up. Like for Nick a little bit as he realizes that Schmidt's putting things in his head, but when Jess is talking to Schmidt, She says that she's mad at him or like she says she's not going to talk to him about this, but it never comes out as like, I can't trust you. It's always just like, okay, I don't want to talk to you about this and I'm mad at you. But now that you're talking to me, I'm going to listen. I'm going to try this. And it's so funny to me because later she's just like, you're trying to break us up. And she's like very cognizant of the fact. And so it really highlights what later Schmidt says about their fatal flaw because this moment she should have just been walking away because Nick does not crave dangerous things. We know this about Nick. If there's anything we know, we know that Nick is not in for like dangerous sexual intercourse by any means. It's not about the thrill. So she should know that. I don't know. And thinking about it and talking about it, it makes me remember how gullible Jess can be. So I feel like in this moment of weakness of not knowing what to do with Nick, she really does want to try to make things right. And so she almost then lets her guard down and becomes more gullible. I think of back in season two where Walt was around and she legitimately thought they wanted to buy a horse because Nick's always wanted a horse. And here's another moment where like Jess knows Nick. She does. And Nick knows Jess. They do know each other and they just don't communicate all the time, which Schmidt calls that out. And later on, which I think is important for them to hear. But in those moments and in this moment, Jess still doubts that she understands Nick in the best way that she does and is gullible and wants to do the captain, even though the blender blends when we can't even hear what's going on because it's that horrible. And yet she does it. She does the whole thing, despite the racial slurs that are potentially included and despite just the horribleness that's part of it. The other part of this, though, that really surprised me is that 
she didn't seem to know like how to be dangerous in bed. And she's like, well, Schmidt, what do I do? Tell me about the captain. But it's like, wait, you were literally in the episode Bad in Bed with Paul where you're all in your strappy starfish thing saying, I'm going to cut you like a log. (laughs) And you're just like, you've had these moments, Jess. You know what this is. I think you make such a good point about Walt because that's another situation in which she actually raised the point that she doesn't think this would be Nick's want to have a horse, but she is gullible and you really hit the nail on the head when you say that she doesn't trust her own knowledge of Nick in this because they're not communicating. And so that really explains why she's so quick to believe Schmidt and that they don't really talk about it, even though, of course, she starts to be vulnerable and shares how like she doesn't think Nick enjoyed that and I'm glad that it very quickly came to the point where Nick explained that he never wanted to do that and it comes out that it was Schmidt that really put this together but her face when she said Schmidt said this and realizes that she's telling Nick that she talked to Schmidt about their problems I couldn't tell if the problem there was that it was Schmidt and the fact that like he's been trying to break them up and she's kind of like realized that this is what happened or if that realization was like Nick doesn't want me talking to anybody else about his as he called it penis problems and I think it's the latter I don't think they truly put together that he was trying to break them up with this until later but it was interesting to watch her in that moment because he obviously blew up. I love, though, that he called Schmidt tight pants and eyebrows. That was just one of the best moments in this. I thought Nick's reaction in that moment, too, where he's like, can't get the words out. And that's what he said was truly hilarious because it was how perfect for Schmidt in the moment to not have words, but to how he could also describe Schmidt. At that moment, though, Jess, with her realization, is running out to confront Schmidt. And I just loved it because Nick was like, Jessica, wait. And I, every time, I swear, I'm like definitely on the lookout for him to call her Jessica because to me, it's just like a real deep connection moment of how much he cares and really likes her. And so I just thought that like small little line was the cutest, cutest thing. I didn't notice that in this episode, but what really stood out to me in this scene is kind of what we hinted at earlier, that Schmidt accurately calls out that their fatal flaw is communication and he's definitely not wrong on this because they cannot figure out how to communicate to each other and then Nick does he is able to communicate well and he was but like that was even their issue all the way back to when they had their first date and they saw Russell at the restaurant and they sat on that curb and they looked at each other and both of them were unwilling to say anything. I feel like in this moment, it was really great that Jess was at least trying to start the conversation and be like, I need to share how I felt. I was scared. I didn't like the captain. It was uncomfortable. And when I said, do you like it? And you said, yes, I looked like you didn't, you know, like she was at least calling it out here. So like, I think from Jess's perspective, she was being as open and opening the door, allowing Nick to have some feelings about things. But I was honestly a little bit frustrated with Nick in this moment too. Like, yes, Schmidt was correct. But before he even like said, stop, let me share all my feelings. He was still hesitating. And I'm just like, why could you possibly be hesitating? You literally have Jess. She wants to have sex with you all the time. Even later in the episode, she's like, I'm a nun with a sexual awakening. You know, like she is here for you, Nick, and she's not going to just shake you off just because you like cello music, you know? Like, why wouldn't you have shared that before? So I just, I'm glad he finally got there. I'm glad he's finally sharing. And it took so much because so much of this whole series of Nick keeping his feelings in and not communicating, it just got to be the point where we needed to move past that. And so I was glad to see him sharing and saying stop both to Schmidt and to Jess and like actually telling Jess too, like you talk too much, stop. Like it's frustrating. And I'm like, yes, go Nick. I think that Nick didn't want to share, not because he thought he would lose her, but because it's not been something that he's looked for in the past. Like he hasn't been with someone who he felt comfortable enough sharing with. And as we kind of saw in this episode, once he 
broke through. It was like a barrier broken down and then every thought he had came tumbling out. He's talking about everything and over analyzing in a different way and like in his feelings about everything. I do think, like you said, Jess has kind of gotten there a little bit faster to be able to like ask Nick how he feels about things. But I also think that Jess was only that way with Nick because she tried to get him to talk about his feelings and naked with the feeling stick. And she's always been a bit more open. And the thing is, Nick has had moments where he's shared. Like back in Fluffer, he set his boundaries of what he felt was okay for him. But somewhere in there, it kind of got lost. And until this point, he hasn't really held on to being able to share his feelings that much. So I'm really interested to see all of these really expansive feelings to know if this is going to continue through where this isn't an issue again, or if this is just going to pop back up as like, oh yeah, Nick just retreated. Now we have to deal with him getting his feelings out again. It's kind of a pivotal moment, but I don't know where the writers are going to take it from here. And I definitely agree with you that this is a pivotal moment and it is, you know, up in the air where the writers are going to go next on how this is, how they're going to take this for Nick. Cause I think what you just called out is definitely fair because is he going to retreat? Is he going to just continue to share? But I feel like this is pivotal from my perspective because I think this almost unlocks something in Nick now that he's able to say something out loud to his friends rather than just to Tran who says nothing, but saying it out loud to everybody else is going to allow him to keep growing. And I think could honestly like alter the relationship between Schmidt and Nick and Jess and Nick. Like, I feel like that is a potential too. It's not just like, will he retreat or will he share more? It's almost a third option of, will he just grow and continue to share, but also grow away from these friends at some level or like in a different way. So ultimately I'm kind of nervous for Jess and Nick now. Like, I think they're still so united, especially like where the episode ends for them. But like, I'm also a little bit like, I don't know, maybe it's not going to keep going just smooth sailing from here on out. And we know that Schmidt's goal is to make sure that it's not smooth sailing because he immediately runs after them after Nick and Jess kind of resolve their feelings and are able to go back in the room together. And Schmidt just jumps in the middle of the two of them as they're trying to make out. And I don't know why they didn't just get up and leave and like leave him in the room. But instead, we just hear a lot of yelling. And then the next time we see them, Schmidt's cutting up a bunch of condoms of Nick's. And I get it in the moment, but it also felt really useless because they can just buy more i see schmidt's frustration but it's also like this isn't about you and you're making it about you when no one else made it about you i do think it's selfish of schmidt and then also to literally take the birth control pills and not only take them and punch them out but literally eat them too everyone's like you could have just thrown them in the sink like what were you doing and yes birth control pills are used for preventing pregnancies, but there's so many other uses for them that like that is someone's medication and you are taking it from them. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I think that's when Winston perfectly, for his own reasons, of course, that we'll get to, but perfectly pops in and he goes, so loft meeting in 20, I'll be there in 15. <laughs> like, <laughs> so perfectly timed in this moment for Winston to just be like, all of you need to cut it out and we need to talk about it. We need to deal with our own communication problems. <laughs> yeah, this loft is not very good at talking about things because he makes the same point you're kind of making that they should not be talking about other people's medications. But the whole personal space and public space point that he was trying to make, I didn't understand because it wasn't like Jess and Nick were having sex on the couch. They were in his room or her room. And to me, that's the same that you would do with any other partner like all of them have been with other people and this has been the same so I think it's interesting to see them kind of deal with Jess and Nick being together and I don't feel like most of the time they need to apologize for that but the stuff that Schmidt does absolutely deserves apologies because he has no boundaries in anything he's doing well and I think Winston's comments were maybe a little bit more about his needs in that moment and wanting to have time that he can have personal space and like even public space with like the cat situation. But 
Winston didn't necessarily know about this, but even the personal space of Schmidt lying with them on the bed and then the public space of like the bathroom that earlier Jess and Nick were like, oh, we're going to go have sex in the bathroom. And you're just like, okay, guys, like maybe you shouldn't be doing that. But then I'm with you as well that all these people separately have had relationships that they've had sex with these people in the loft. Like this is not a new thing for this loft. And yet at the beginning of the episode, even with Winston, he's like, oh, this is my survival kit. Like Schmidt's like, how do I break them up? And I need to do everything I can to just literally even later on physically put himself in the middle of Jess and Nick. And Winston's like, it's fine. I have earmuffs. I have a blindfold. I wear a bell so they know that I'm coming. And I'm just like, what? Like Winston, you other like Nick has been in a relationship before, maybe not too frequently, but he had Julia. He had Caroline. I know you all didn't love that all the time either, but you weren't literally making a survival kit. I don't know. But then at the same time, when they were all in this scene, I thought to myself and I was like, wow, Jess is really comfortable with these three guys, like not just Nick, like she's comfortable with Nick. Yes, because they're together, their relationship right now, but she's like in her bathrobe and she's also sharing her whole sexual situation about how like again she's the nun and like Nick's her monsignor and like all this stuff and like Nick is looking so cute during it and meanwhile Winston and Schmidt are both like ew like I don't want to hear this but Jess is that comfortable level to just say that with no no filter (laughs) I was like this is a very progressed loft but also at the same time not Yeah, you make a good point about the bathroom because I did forget about that moment, which is public space. And so I see Winston's point maybe more from that perspective. But like we're both saying, they've been in relationships before. And I also agree with you that like Jess does sound so comfortable in this moment. But the moment that stood out to me in this whole loft interaction or this loft meeting is when Winston called out that he was running a cat brothel. Like he knows he's not normal because he spent this entire episode trying to get his cat laid because he was going to be neutered. Yeah, and in preparing for this episode, I did come across an article from Vulture back when this episode originally aired, and the author who had written that spent the bulk of his article calling out that it's alarming that none of his loftmate friends were aware or concerned of how lonely Winston is feeling and how much he is needing help. Because if you heard that your friend was trying to get their cat laid and then literally the thing that Schmidt walked in on, which I will say was a funny moment, but like where Schmidt walked in and wanted his help and sees literally like combined cat porn style pictures on the wall, him trying to excite his cat with the catnip and like all this stuff, but then literally getting a human to bring a cat to have like a cat sex party. And you're just like, Oh no, Winston. Oh no. (laughs) I don't know. I will say watching the episode, I definitely was like, Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. What is Winston doing? And then at the same time, I'm like, Whoa, this is, this is a cry for help. This is again, Winston getting a like D storyline and also having it be a weird storyline. All the things Winston has done to this point, everything he's been into, they have not figured him out yet as a character as much as they think that they might be trying. So I don't know. I think there's a lot more to come with Winston and and where he's at because there were so many issues with this of him at this pet store meeting this woman. There were so many red flags from Winston in many capacities. I have to admit, I didn't see it as a cry for help either. But (laughs) when you lay it out that way, yeah, how selfish does the rest of the loft have to be, again, to not notice that he is going through something. And, you know, back in Elaine's big day, we saw him ask a bartender to call 911 because he's going to bleed out because he stayed to give Nick advice about Jess. And here we are four or five episodes later and they don't even notice that he's literally hosting a cat bachelor party because they're off in their relationship and Schmidt's like hell bent on breaking them up. 
that's I mean, yeah, that's absolutely a cry for help. And again, he has so many red flags, like you're saying, talking to Kylie and saying, like, does the girl cat have all her parts like talking about grooming? And then he even asked the pet store owner if a cat was slutty. This is not okay. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, Nick and Jess did plant the idea of like, hey, yeah, you should have like a sex party, like a bachelor party for your cat and they can have these moments. And then the only problem was, is that, you know, Winston was not in a good place because he's like, this is a great suggestion. And then Jess and Nick totally saw that. They like, oh, we're kidding. But of course, it's like, not wanting to follow that up more. I think the other part that was a red flag as well, it's like red flag for like Winston's mental health in this moment, but it's also red flag for Kylie because you know, that person, she's like the last six months were really hard. I brought some wine, like I need to have some wine or something. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like I can understand that there's a whole backstory for you, Kylie, that we don't know anything about. But if a random man is telling you like it was kind of like okay that's a pickup line but if he asked you if the girl cat has all her parts you saw in her face that she was like yeah <laughs> like I don't know what this is and I'm just like for her sake even knowing Winston and loving him as a character and like knowing he's harmless I'm just like if a man asked you that you got a red flag run away do not go to his house do not bring your cat like Time to go. Like, let's be concerned for Kylie. That's a new, it's a spinoff series. Seriously, he was very creepy in all of those moments because he immediately was like, let's go to my room. There's nosy people. Maybe they might walk in on something. And you're like, this is red flag behavior. And throughout the whole thing, like, poor Kylie, she saw what she wanted to see and was let down by the fact that he wasn't interested in her. He was interested in her cat for his cat. And I also didn't understand how he was expecting these two cats to get together. This whole storyline, I just, I I couldn't. I couldn't. And he was so unaware the entire time, even at the end of the loft meeting. And he never saw anything that was wrong. He never picked up on the moment that like why Kylie left. It never really worked out for Winston this episode. And it also didn't really work out for Schmidt this episode because we did see the loft meeting and to really just close it out, he is all wrapped in the blanket. He's feeling his feelings, which is like totally a mood. I get that. But then I don't know if I loved how much he was playing up the estrogen pills because as Jess said, they would not have worked that fast. That's even if you take five of them, seven of them, like he did for all the days of the week, that's just not how that works in your body. So <laughs> he he was maybe a little overdramatic and overreacting, but wrapping himself in a blanket, holding the pillow, I got that mood pretty easily. I'm like, I get, I get these feelings right now because Jess finally did call him out and say, you did a bad thing. You need to deal with that. And he tries to, I mean, it looks like he writes Cece an apology letter, which is also very notable because he went to Cece and we don't see something like that for Elizabeth. So he should have just picked her all along and gone and done this the right way. But It was sad to watch him watch Cece basically accept the letter as a trash wrapper for her gum, but he does kind of deserve it in this moment. I definitely, when like first seeing this part of the episode was like, Schmidt, like he's sitting on the stairs and he's just so sad and like he just had such a moment, like he's sad about the Jess and Nick thing, even though he shouldn't be, but he is and like you're kind of feeling for Schmidt, but then like you said, you realize, I'm like, I had a moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, Schmidt just chose. Like, we don't see him going to Elizabeth. You don't see him writing two letters. He chose Cece. And he even chose Cece before. And he very clearly wants to try to make things right with her. And yet it didn't happen for him in that moment. But at the same time, he should have just figured that out sooner. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, it's a fine line because I feel for Schmidt in this moment, but I also agree he did a bad thing and he needs to own it. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that we feel conflicted about, but hopefully this leads to him not trying to continue to break up Jess and Nick because he's realized that he just needs to sit with where he's at. Fingers crossed. Hardcore. I would love for this storyline to fizzle out at this episode. (laughs) But that gets us to our 
fun superlative segment called Most Likely To, where Critique and I come up with two different questions of things that have been brought up or happens in the episode and which one of us, Critique or Kelly, is most likely to do that thing. And so the one I came up with first is who is most likely to not realize they're on a date? A la Winston. (laughs) Not Kylie, but Winston's perspective. I would say you. I can see you being completely oblivious to the fact that somebody else thinks that it's a date, mostly just because you've been in a relationship for so long that you probably don't even notice it if someone else is trying to be on a date with you. I would agree. I think that's fair because I think I'm also like, I'm just me. No one's, this isn't me being interesting to anyone. No one finds me interesting. And yet someone could very really be like, no, I thought this was a thing. And I'd be like, oh no, no, it's not. <laughs> but also not realize it. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> so Kelly, who do you think is most likely to be afraid to talk about your feelings? I'm going to say you. I really don't have a filter a lot of times, even when I probably should. And I think that there's moments where you may have a filter in place more than I would. (laughs) I think I could see this one going either way, actually, but I'm going to have to agree. I I think it would probably be me more so than you. Although I think depending on the day, I could kind of flip this either way. Fair, fair. But Kritika, really important here. Who do you think is most likely to feel very strongly about the cello? You. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think back to when we did Bells and you had some very strong opinions about the way Winston did Bells and the rest of them. Or even when Paul played the violin. But also, I I am 100% with Nick in that I actively listen to like cello concertos just in my everyday life, like cello and like classical music is really what fuels me most days. So that is very mostly me. (laughs) I set you up for it because it was definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Kelly, who do you think is more likely to use an ex's heartfelt apology letter to just throw away gum? That's hard because that would make both of us look like horrible people. Um, I don't mean it to make you look bad, but I think it would be you (laughs) because I think I would take that thing so seriously that I I feel like I've said before, I'm kind of like Jess in that I would be the one that's like, let's talk about our feelings. And so if someone wrote me a letter with all of their feelings, I would definitely be that person who on the side is like venting about it to somebody else. But then I would like go confront that person or like write them a letter back or, you know, do something with it. I wouldn't just like read it and in the same moment, put gum in it and like throw it away. I would like keep that for more years than I probably should have, like unless it was a really horrible, nasty note. But that's the kind of person I am. So it probably would be you, (laughs) but it probably wouldn't be you either. So yeah, I think between the two of us, it would probably be me as well. Maybe throwing away gum in is like very specific because I don't know if that would be the case. But if you kind of read that scene in a way where she knows that she's not trying to be back in this thing when she's already tried twice now and it hasn't worked out for her, actually three times that they've kind of tried things, I can see myself starting to draw those kind of firm boundaries. So I would say me as well in that perspective. I think that is fair. The background of Cece's specific relationship or like in this scenario, it wasn't so strong for Cece to do that. That is fair. And now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Schmidtism in the second half of our podcast. So with our Schmidisms this episode, we actually couldn't find a moment that we both loved enough to really reenact it like we typically do in our Schmidisms. So instead, we're both going to give you our favorite Schmidt lines because it was a little bit harder to find in this episode. So for me, my favorite Schmidt line was actually when he's talking to Jess and Schmidt says how his diploma says that he majored in communications, but his heart says that he majored in Nicholas studies. Because both the usage of just Nicholas studies and then later when Jess refers to it as like a PhD in Nicology or something like that. It's just, it was great to see this moment. 
for me, the line that was really the best from Schmidt is, <laughs> I think tied with not only the line, but like the way his face was composed is that when he did open that door to go consult Winston again and like have Winston help him with his takedown of, of Jess and Nick's relationship, he pops his head in and <laughs> sees everything that's happening with the cats. And Winston offers him some catnip and then like sniffs it. And Schmidt has nothing to say, but this is a real bummer. And he leaves the room, which, as I said earlier, is like kind of a concerning response from a friend of like, wait, this is clearly a cry for help. And Schmidt's just like, this is a bummer for me, is like the left out part. But I think, like I said, just the way that Max Greenfield delivered the line and the line that it was itself, I laughed really hard at the scene. But then with our In the 2020 segment, we do have a different moment, not necessarily still focusing on Winston, but the moment that really stuck out to us on a not moment in the 2020s is kind of how there was themes again and kind of multiple references about fat shaming in this episode. I feel like this isn't something we've seen now for probably most of season two, like I feel like the specifically fat shaming jokes or fat shaming comments really went down. But then somehow in this episode, there were a few different moments where not only was Schmidt talking about Nick's mushy mid-region or even earlier going, you know, they shouldn't make that much sound because his body is soft and should absorb it. But then also Jess saying, oh, well, I'll just say mean comments about you to make you, you know, perform or not have the impotence. And she then starts calling him a fatty and saying, you're really fat. And you can even see Nick's face is like, well, this isn't helping me. Like, this isn't something that's resonating. And I mean, and another thing that really wasn't like fat shaming or like looking negatively on this, but even Kylie's cat's name was Fatty, which I was just like, okay, maybe I'm just hearing this too much this episode because of that. But like the other two comments from Nick and from Jess were really not great. And I felt like we had gotten past those kinds of like shallow fat shaming comments, but we're still there. Yeah, it wasn't great to see any of those moments. But when we look at our yes in the 2020s moments, one moment that really stood out to us was really Nick expressing his feelings. For a lot of the reasons that we talked about earlier, he was able to really embrace that part of himself and share it with Jess and with Schmidt and being able to be true to himself in a way. Like it sounded like some of that stuff he had never really even said out loud, maybe even to Tran. So it was really great to see him really expressing his feelings in this episode. The one other yes in the 2020s moment that we had was the support from Jess coming when she walks in at the end of the episode and Nick puts egg cartons or like styrofoam pieces all around the room so that it can absorb the sound. But Jess comes in and he's like, look, look what I did. And she's like, I love it. What is it? You know, she responds first with I love it. She's clearly in the relationship and supporting Nick in this way and wanting to be a champion for him, even for little things like this. And so we thought that moment was just really sweet and really cute and like definitely a yes moment to like be supportive first and then understand what's going on. So that was our other yes in the 2020s moment. When we look at pop culture, we always list out all of the references that we find with more information on our show notes and on our website, smallscreenchatter.com. But the one that we wanted to highlight was the Titanic and Billy Zane reference that Nick makes when he's talking about Schmidt. And he says, after he saw the movie Titanic, he started the Billy Zane fan club. Look it up. They're called the Zaniacs. So Titanic is a 1997 American epic romance and disaster film, which was directed, written, produced, and co-edited by James Cameron. And it was actually the highest grossing film of all time until later James Cameron came out with Avatar in 2010. And this movie has some historical aspects based on the real accounts of the sinking of the RMS Titanic and has some fictional components. And it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, most notably being members of different social classes. And something I thought that was really interesting about this movie that I hadn't known previously was that some of the footage of the actual Titanic wreck is in the movie, which was something that really stood out to me. And with Billy Zane, he is an 
American actor who played Calderon Hockley in the movie Titanic, for which he was nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award, and that character, Calderon Nathan Hockley, often shortened to Cal, was an American industrialist and an heir to the Pittsburgh Steel Fortune in the movie. Billy Zane, the actor, however, was known mostly for his roles in Titanic, but then also The Phantom, Back to the Future Part Two, and Dead Calm. And he knows the feeling that Nick is sharing about how odd it would have been for Schmidt to really throw himself behind Billy Zane's character in the movie Titanic, because even Zane himself does feel that Cal gets a bad rap, and rightfully so. In his own quote, he said, He was a bastard, but he wasn't born that way. He was trained that way, in my opinion. He was a tragic bastard in that it was just bad programming and a mirror of the times. He later then said, Cal was not equipped to handle a fiercely independent woman who was breaking social norms. His heart was really broken. He really loved and provided for her. And through the context of history, he wasn't programmed for certain behaviors, which I think is a fair take to like make sure that you're looking at it from the lens of the time, not necessarily the time of today. However, I did also find a different article that we'll link in our show notes for you as well that shared just an individual who really tried to make the case that Billy Zane's character actually was the true hero of Titanic. And it was Jack, the homeless person who was taking his fiance away, the one who was actually the villain, making it a hard movie for Cal. So... It is on both sides of the fence here, so Schmidt's not alone. He did have his club, the Zaniacs, which I don't think was a real a real situation. We couldn't find anything on that. But Billy Zane did share that to be universally loved is really quite funny. I think perspective is such a funny thing because, to your point, that one article that sees him as the true hero – That story could have been written in a completely different way where really Billy Zane wasn't the antagonist of the movie, but actually the protagonist. So that would have been a very different Titanic, though. Very different indeed. Another reference that we picked up on in this episode is when Schmidt was talking about Jess and Nick and saying to Winston, every couple has a weakness. Kate and Will... I could break them up with one email. Oh, look at that. Look at the royal baby now living with slutty Aunt Pippa. (laughs) Which, this is honestly the most Schmidt thing that could have been said this episode. How perfect was it? But what his reference was here is Kate and Will being the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge in England, which is part of the British royal family comprised of Queen Elizabeth II and all of her close relations. So, Will and Kate, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, did welcome their first child, Prince George, in 2013, which also makes sense why Schmidt would bring up a reference such as this in the episode that has now aired in October 2013. So Will, though, to share a little more about him, is he is the elder son of Charles, Prince of Wales, and Diana, Princess of Wales. And since birth, he has been second in line of succession to the British throne. And... Currently, today, in 2022, Will and Kate have three children, Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis of Cambridge. The three of them are now also third, fourth, and fifth in line of succession of the British throne, respectively. Kate is a little interesting, where she actually held jobs in retail and marketing and pursued charity work before she was engaged to Will. And they announced that in November 2010. And Aunt Pippa refers to Pippa Middleton, who is the younger sister of Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, or Kate. And the only reason I can understand that Schmidt might have made some sort of reference to this is that she was known as a socialite or was described as that. Because in 2008, which is Well before this episode aired, there was a magazine that actually named her the number one society singleton ahead of James Blunt and even Princess Eugenia of York. But she was also described as someone who goes to a lot of parties, but mainly as the caterer. So maybe that's what Schmidt was talking about, that she goes to a lot of parties or she was described as a socialite. Really, there's no reason why Schmidt should have been talking about any of these people 
in this way or really try to break them up with one email, I'd like to see what was in that email. Right. And how would the email even get through whatever sort of security? Like he has Will and Kate's email or he has the Queen's email. I I don't, we can't put anything past Schmidt. He will find a way. (laughs) I don't know that he'd be successful, but he would definitely try. He would definitely try. The guest stars in this episode, there really weren't many, but we will not be discussing Justin Uritz, who was the pet store owner, and Anderson Davis, who is simply Guy, but Guy who was with Cece at the end of the episode. But we will be talking about the actress who played Kylie, Ricky Lindholm. Critigan and I know Ricky from shows like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, The Big Bang Theory, Fresh Off the Boat, Gilmore Girls, And movies like Knives Out, the Lego Batman movie as a voice actor, and Million Dollar Baby. She's also done TV shows such as Wednesday, which is in post-production, and Another Period. And she's done movies like The Last House on the Left, My Best Friend's Girl, and A Safe Distance, which is also in post-production. When she acted on The Big Bang Theory, she actually wrote the song that Howard composed for Bernadette with her Garfunkel Notes partner Kate Majucci and as of November 2021 Lindholm will actually be writing a script for an upcoming animated musical film Steps with Kate as well and they'll both be executive producing and writing the lyrics together. She's also a member of the Actors Gang Theater Company. One other fun fact about her is that in 1997, she won the JFK Library's Profile in Courage essay contest. And even just this year, she became a mother the day before her 43rd birthday. With trivia and fun facts, something that we learned recently that really stood out to us is that Lamorne Morris is actually allergic to cats. And so there's a number of articles that have come out about this and some of the things that he shared was that it was really beyond just taking meds and he had to go through a lot of things to work with Ferguson but since the fans loved Ferguson so much they couldn't switch him to a cat that Lamorne wasn't allergic to and there were times like Hannah Simone mentioned on their podcast welcome to our show that she actually had to hold Ferguson instead of Lamorne because he just couldn't complete the scene and so it looked like this big moment for Cece and Winston. And it was just so interesting to really know the lengths that Lamorne went to to really be able to interact with Ferguson. And it was especially funny when listening to Welcome to Our Show that Zoe and Hannah both loved cats, but it was Lamorne that ended up being the one that actually had to have the cat in the show. I also liked how in this episode specifically, Ben, knowing this context of him being allergic to cats is in one of the first scenes where we're seeing Winston with Ferguson. He actually has a blanket on his legs and Winston doesn't have Ferguson on him directly. And I'm like, Oh, like my first thought in knowing that was maybe he just doesn't want to get like fur on the actor's clothes or, you know, it's about a fur thing. But then knowing this, I was like, Oh, maybe it was because he's allergic that they put this blanket on him so that it wasn't really getting in his clothes. Also, later on, even like you see Winston in the room putting things together for the cat brothel and Ferguson is like on the cat tower, not with Winston holding him. So I think there's definitely going to be ways that we find creative moments where Ferguson is very important to Winston, but Winston's not going to actually have Ferguson on him or near him in these scenes. And for the first time in season three, Kelly and I actually caught the bear this episode, and it was when Schmidt was making fun of Nick and talking about the Chicago brown bears, which is really the Chicago bears, but we really think that's the bear reference in this episode. So we didn't catch any others, but if you hear of any others, let us know, but we're really excited to have finally caught the bear in an episode of New Girl. But now to get to our rating and favorite character this episode, IMDb gave this a 7.5 out of 10. The audience viewership for this episode was 3.96 million in the US. And I gave this episode an 8 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed just all the different shenanigans that were going on. As much as I didn't like last episode when Schmidt was like, I'm going to take them down. He did so in such a way this episode that was not 
annoying <laughs> that was not as annoying and kind of just kept it lighthearted. For me, this episode was a 7 out of 10. I enjoyed the episode like I enjoy every episode of New Girl, really. But while there were moments of just character growth, like Nick, who was actually my favorite character, I just didn't find this episode to be all that enthralling. And I think there's some episodes that are definitely much better comedic content as well. It's true. Nick was also my favorite character, though, and maybe less so for the comedy moments, but more so for the moment that he did finally share his feelings and really own up to it and then give us so much more about like what he's interested in and what he likes. So I liked Nick's storyline this episode, and I liked Nick's reaction to things and his facial reactions that Jake Johnson was doing for Nick Miller. But that really wraps up everything but the spoilers. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Kelly and I really appreciate you. And if you enjoyed it or you found it interesting, we'd love if you could give us a five-star rating or leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, we love your feedback as well. So shoot us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod or find us on our website at smallscreenchatter.com. So now, if you don't want to hear any future storylines, you have five seconds to pause. But if you do, we'll be here next week to talk about episode five. Starting off our spoiler section with endgame couples, as we always do. First up is Jess and Nick. This episode, I gave them a 9.5 because I felt like they'd made such big breakthroughs in being able to talk to each other, and I think they could make it from here. I was so ready for you to say they were like a 3 out of 10 because you just don't see any hope for them, and like I feel like I'm always coming in higher than you, but then I actually gave them an 8 out of 10 because... I think I have doubts now. Nick is learning to share his feelings. We also, this being the spoiler section, we know they don't even make it till the end of the season. And I feel like this episode is where that starts to get foreshadowed. And so as much as they're committed to each other and like wanting to see this through, I think that they're going to get past this honeymoon phase and it's going to kind of erode. So I gave it a little bit lower. I'm surprised. (laughs) So between both of us, our total then, I guess, would be a nine? Yeah. 8.75? Nine sounds good. <laughs> nine sounds good. I'll, I'll look it and keep it a little higher. For Schmidt and Cece, though, I'm interested to hear your rating. I gave them a one out of ten because it would be a zero. I know last episode, I think I gave them like a negative ten out of ten because we found out all the details with Schmidt and how he was cheating with both of them, but... Now, I'm definitely at a one because he actually wrote her a letter. Cece did put her gum in it. Cece threw it away. But there's intent here. Schmidt cares about Cece. So I had to give it something. (laughs) You'll be very surprised to know that I also gave it a one out of ten for a lot of the same reasons. I felt like we were starting to see Schmidt choose, which was really important. And we got to see... Cece be impacted by it because the act of throwing her gum away in it kind of meant that there was still something there she could have just thrown it away and not even looked at it or not even opened it but we saw more so I think it's a one out of ten I don't know when they're really gonna get back together but it feels like there's hope for them but getting to our douchebag tracker where as always a 10 out of 10 is that Schmidt's a total douchebag and a 0 out of 10 is that Schmidt's a really genuine guy i gave him a 9 out of 10 because he was extremely douchey he was avoiding his own feelings by trying to break up Jess and Nick and even though he had this genuine moment at the end i don't think it made up for any of the stuff he went through before Okay, well, I gave him a 7 out of 10 because I felt like the end with the genuine moment actually kind of made up for it a little bit because he was told, like, you did a bad thing. And yes, he did do horrible things of eating other people's medications. But I don't know. I guess I the soft spot for Schmidt for me was stronger than I realized. I was just like, well, he wasn't so bad, but I think it would be fair to give him at least 
even an 8.5 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 because he was kind of messed up this episode. He was not being a good friend to anybody but himself. Other than that, we really had no other spoilers this episode, which then just gets us to say that we really thank you for listening to our podcast, Who's That Girl? We do love to hear your feedback, just as you hear ours on every episode of New Girl. So please reach out to us on social media. We're on Twitter or Instagram at Who's That Girl Pod. And you can also check out our website, smallscreenchatter.com, to see our show notes or reach out to us there. So we really look forward to seeing you again for the next episode. Bye!